Hey, everybody. My name is Rob Shear, and I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm also an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, an author of a book, A Forever Family. But most importantly, I am the father of four amazing children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right here where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a social media consultant, a radio host, a podcast producer, and a mother of two children. See, our country's foster care system is shattered, and this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Today we're talking to Sonia Granados. Sonia appeared on season four of the reality show Married at First Sight. She quickly became a fan favorite as her career in social work and passion for helping others was made evident during the show. In one episode, she asked her new husband to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and they went out and delivered them to people experiencing homelessness. Since doing the show, Sonia has used her platform to raise awareness about foster care. She currently works for a faith-based nonprofit that recruits, trains, and and licenses people to be foster parents. She also hosted a podcast series in which she interviewed foster parents and former youth in foster care about their experiences. And we are so excited to talk to her today. Hi, Sonia. Hi, Dina. How are you? I'm good. Say hello to Rob. Oh my gosh. Hi, Sonia. How are you? I am absolutely starstruck. So I'm great. I'm great. I actually have goosebumps right now. Welcome to your interview again. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Oh my gosh. You know, I mean, this is crazy. First of all, this is so surreal to me that I'm actually talking to you. And so I am absolutely thrilled to death. I've read about you. I know about you. I've watched you. Um, If anybody would have asked me, you know, would I be actually talking to you? I would have said, no way, never. But this is great. This is great. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful and thankful like for all that you're doing and excited to talk to you about what I love the most, foster care. So, Sonia, I, I was curious to know from actually when I saw you on the show, what attracted you to social work and what made you want to work in the foster care system and with foster children? So, I had a pretty rough kind of growing up as far as like, my parents got divorced and um, I decided to stay with my dad. And I was, at my young age, I was kind of like doing drugs and um, doing things that I really wasn't supposed to. And for some reason, I just kind of fell into foster care. It was nothing that I like studied for. I got my bachelor's in psychology, but one day I worked for a nonprofit, which was doing like really shady stuff. And they were having students sign in sheets that um, like to get funding so all of us blew the whistle and said, well, we're not going to work for this. So I was like two months without a job and a foster care. I had applied for a foster care agency. This was like 12 years ago, a little over 12 years ago. And they called me and I fell in love. Like I just saw a little bit of me in all these kids that I try and help. And wow. I think that's what keeps me there. Wow. You know, there's so many things that you just said. Number one, the fact about nonprofits. And so I fell into this whole nonprofit arena a little over five years ago. And I actually was telling Dana about how 
heartbroken I have been when it comes to nonprofits. You know, I, I think that we all as humans, realize, we, we hear the word nonprofit and we think, oh, they're helping and they're doing. And what I have found out is that it's very few. It's just like foster care. It's like there are very few amazing foster parents. There are very few amazing nonprofits. And so to hear you say that, it, it just, you know, for me, I, I get it. I get it. You know, for me, I was a kid, you know, who I, I being in the system, being a homeless kid, meeting so many other kids, you know, having someone like you with a voice that you just said, you know, you fell into it, but you felt that you needed to be there. That's that's what I love is that you felt you needed to be there. Yeah, I I, I can't see myself doing anything else. Like, I just love these children. And I'm dying to become a foster parent, but all in due time. But it's coming. Well, I, oh, I saw your tweet the other day about that, how somebody told you that you would be an amazing foster parent. And I think so, too. I mean, I watched you on that show and I was just like, this woman is just too sweet to be on a reality show. And that's honestly, you know, how I felt about you. Yeah. So so now your current job is that you work for a nonprofit and you train foster parents and license foster parents and all that. So I'm curious to know, what are the most common concerns people have? Like what makes the the parents, what makes them hesitate about becoming foster parents? The absolute main thing that I hear over and over and over um, foster parents fears or prospective foster parents is I'm going to get so attached to the child and then they're going to have to leave. That's like the main thing that I hear. But my like answer is like, okay, we want you to get attached. I want you to get attached and I want you to form these bonds because it could be possible that you are the only bond that they will ever form, right? Like, who knows? So, yeah, you're going to break your heart, but you're going to heal theirs. And that's what's important. Wow. You know, that reminds me of, I'll never forget when Reese and I were going in to, to adopt. And by the way, we weren't going in to be foster parents. We were going in to adopt and they told us that we, it would be, we probably would be able to adopt faster if we became foster parents. And I remember looking at Reese saying, there is no way in I'm going to say it hell that I could do this because I'm going to get too attached. I, I just, I know me. And I remember my husband looking at me at the time he was my only, my partner, he looked at me and he said, you know, Rob, he said, if we could change a child's life for just one day, one day, he said, don't you feel like we've done something? And I, I mean, first of all, you, I can't wait for you and I to break bread one day. I can't wait for you to meet my husband, Reese, because he is this guy who I just always want to say, Damn it. You always have the right things to say. And he had that right thing to say. And he's right. And, you know, I get that all the time about the attachment. So I'm going to ask the question that so many people, and by the way, this podcast, you know, for me to do this podcast, it was truly about really peeling the layers back about foster care, peeling the layers about things we don't really talk about or that we feel uncomfortable. So I want to talk to you because doing what you do and by the way, thank you. Thank you. Because doing what you do is the, one of the hardest jobs. I hear throughout the country and I travel the country and I, I meet agencies all over the country. And the one thing I hear all the time is that we have we don't have enough beds. And the first thing I do is I correct them and say, let's not say that ever again. Let's say we don't have enough homes. Mm-hmm. 
And, but we don't have enough homes. And so for what you're doing, how hard it is, but what I want to ask, and I know this is a tough question. So if you say to me, you know what, Rob, I don't want to go there, but I'm okay with that. How do you feel about reunification? And and again, I'm going to throw this out for me. I'm a firm believer of reunification, but I believe that we as a country for our children who are in care, that we wait way too long. We wait way too long. So how do you feel about reunification? Wow. Okay. So this is a toughie. This is a toughie because so in our training and everything that we do, and not only what we train, but what I believe is, so the primary goal of foster care is reunification always. Um, and in those cases, which we know being in the system and working and having been involved in it, that adoptions happen quite a bit. Um, but I think that sometimes um, adoptive parents or maybe foster parents that really want to desire so badly to be parents, not knowingly may sabotage a reunification. And again, not knowingly, not that they come in doing it on purpose, or but it could be that they want to have the children so badly. Um, and I've seen that quite a bit, um, at least here in Miami. It happens quite a bit, which is really sad. So that's why once they come in, we're very like, hey, you know, um, parental rights are constitutional rights. Like they're very hard to sever. So it's a long process, even if the children go um, towards adoption. It's going to be a long way to go. Um, so I really, really believe in reunification, but I also believe that in some cases, reunification is just not possible. Like, yeah. it's just not possible. Um, and unfortunately, kids linger in care. You're absolutely right. Way too long. Way too long. Yeah. And and I agree with you. You know, I, I've seen that as well. I, I've seen the, the hope in foster parents' eyes that, you know, as much as they want to say, oh, they want you know, the best for the children. And at the end of the day, I think the best for a child is to be with their birth parents, if that's could happen. But I also believe that children should not sit on the sidelines and watch a game being played. I believe that children, I think, and, and this is again, my, you know, as this blog is our charity, there's so many times I have my own personal opinion. And as my personal opinion, I feel that we have one year, one year, I believe when a child enters the system, you have one year. I'm going to give you every bit of support you need. I'm going to help you find a job. I'm going to help you find good housing. I'm going to put you in drug rehab if that's what you need. I'm going to get you in anger management if that's what you need. I'm going to be there to be what a community should be, which is lift you up. But after one year, if you choose not to help yourself, your children should not flounder. Because every single year we do that, we end up making the statistics worse and worse and worse. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. It's definitely true. And we have now children that I remember when I first started working in in foster care, it was even worse. It was just like kids were in for like six, seven, eight years. Then so long, a lot of them, sometimes they get institutionalized. And now they're no longer in a foster home. Now they're not in an age where it's attractive for people to adopt them. Because people are, honestly, people who come to me are like, oh, I would like a baby. Like, there are two. They're not thinking of these teens. And I have teens, 15, 16, that are literally asking for Christmas that all that they want is a family. That's heartbreaking. 
It is. Dana has been living this through, you know, our charity and, and this podcast. And, you know, I consider her such, she's become such a good friend of mine. And she's seeing this for the first time, which was what you and I have been living. I saw Rob on Ellen two years ago and realized that his charity was right here where I live. And I had no idea that kids were carrying their belongings in a trash bag. And I said, I have to get involved and and help in any way that I can. And so I'm just, you know, I'm just learning about all of this. I had no idea. I feel like most of my friends and family members, I mean, aside from hearing it from me, they just don't know what's going on with so many children and what really happens to kids in in foster care. So for me, it's been a learning experience. You know, Sonia, I'm going to say this, and this, this is, this is the first time I've, I've talked about this, but you know, the other day, I was at a place here um, within our state that has kids who are brought there because of things that they can't help. The fact that we don't realize the trauma that these kids go through. And the other day I was visiting this, this if you can call it an institution, you can call it a hospital. I, I, I don't know what you call it, but there were 19 children there. 19 children. They were all under the age of 18. I said to one of the intake nurses, they call them, how many people out of the 19 have visitors? And she said, four. I said, four? And she said, yeah, because the majority of them are kids from foster care. So yet that's what we deal with. We, we are dealing with a population of children who, by the way, have trauma that most people will never imagine. Never imagine. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. stick them in institutions because we don't know how to control or help them control or deal with their emotions. We call them trouble kids. And then we take them from there and we put them in prisons. And, and we, as a, as a community, as a human race, we have failed. We have failed. Yeah. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to me. And Sonia, I know that you had a podcast series that you did a couple of years ago. Uh, people can find it on um, Apple Podcasts at Sonia Granados. But um, what did you learn from doing those interviews from those adults who had been in foster care? What did you learn from them that they want people to know and that you want to share with people about what it's like growing up in the system and what needs to change? Like what would have helped them? The, the huge kind of takeaway was that the resiliency of like these children are incredibly resilient. And another thing is a lot of families think, hey, I'm coming here, I'm becoming a foster parent. And not all, right? But some families come with the idea, well, my house is nicer. Um, they're going to have like, you know, um, I, I'm an educated person. I am I have a certain amount of money. So they're going to come and they're going to be happy because it's better than what I removed them from, you know? But the reality is it's, it's not, right? Because what's better for them is their family, is their home. And regardless of the circumstances that they came from, that to them was that was their reality. So mom hit them. Mom, that's how mom shows love. So it's our jobs as, as a system as foster parents to kind of guide them and, and, and be that uh, voice of love, knowing that love doesn't mean hitting or love doesn't mean doing drugs. Um, and showing them that. And I think that's like a big, because I kept on hearing that when they would go to foster homes, um, that they felt like they didn't felt, feel like part of the family. Like they were just there as just for now. 
Um, but if you misbehave, you might have to go back or I might have to call um, your social worker if you misbehave because then I'm going to have to send you back. Like, And that's so hurtful. Like, You would never do that to anybody that you love and why do it to these children that are just going through so much trauma, so much trauma that, again, we wouldn't, like Rob said, like, we don't know half of the stuff that they go through. So I think being more patient I think that foster parents really have to be really patient and, and loving in their in, in their care and consistent. But again, their resilience is amazing to me. And what are some of the things in the when you train foster parents or when you teach them? Do you think that they have enough education about the trauma that kids go through when you do trainings with them and everything and tell them what to expect and how to deal with certain situations? What's the training process like? And And to add to that, Dana... By the way, because I've set through those classes, do you find it that people who teach the class or social workers who teach the class are worried to talk about that because you're going to scare more people off? So that's funny you ask. We actually scare the bejesus out of them. We want to scare them because those people that are unsure, to be honest, I don't want them to be foster parents. This is like this is a decision that people sometimes take years um, to make and finally decide I'm going to foster and I want them to do it carefully and I want them to be scared and I want them to ask questions. So we're very um, verbal and we almost do like worst case scenarios just to prepare them for what could happen. And yes, a lot of people leave the class, um, but those that stay, we know are like a solid family that really are are in it and in the same token we do tell them and not just tell them but we are walking through them like holding hands with them if they have to go to court and they want us to go to court with them we are going to go to court with them if there is a meeting they don't feel comfortable we're going to go with them to that meeting so we provide this support to just really strengthen them and make them feel, you know, I'm, I'm ready for this and I'm able to do this. So the same that we, we scare them, but we do provide that like much needed support. I absolutely love that. I love that. I love that. You know, I, I there, there's a couple, oh my gosh, there's so many things I want to say. So there, the, the first <laughs> thing I, I want to say is that I, I'm assuming you saw the, the movie Instant Family. Yes. And so I, I was absolutely grateful that I got to actually watch it with the director and the writer and his wife. And I was a little taken back. And I, I remember saying to him afterwards, we were just together. And I said, you know, I don't know if that's how it happened in LA, but that's not how it happened in DC. But you know, for me, it was the thing that I think that, and again, I'm just telling you how my experience, we fail is the support after it happened. After, mm-hmm. after the children arrived in our home, um, after, you know, and by the way, m- my husband and I, we never missed a court date. We, we went to everything that we possibly could go to because it was always about the kids. But the thing I write about in my book, and I think that this goes back to this whole circle, that I think where we make the biggest mistake is that we don't allow the birth parents and the foster parents to know that they're a team, that they're a team. Mm-hmm. I, I, I truly believe that if we would really make the birth parents and the, the foster parents come together for the well-being of a child, that I think that the, the, the child's 
it just would be so much better. You know, I, I was talking to some parents just recently um, who had a child that was from the system and, and the child lived with them for, you know, almost two years. And then all of a sudden the child, the, the judge says, okay, you're being reunified. You're going back to your birth parents. And it was a cutoff. Like, you're never going to see this kid again. This kid's never going to see you again. And that's just not acceptable. You know, I believe that kids should be able to have contacts. By the way, I, I'm adopt, I have adoption with my four children in a closed adoption state. But I'll tell you this. My children know the phone number to their birth parents. My children know that their birth parents can come to the table and break bread with us any day of the week, you know, because that makes a healthier child. And I believe that birth parents should also understand that as foster parents, who, by the way, we're just caregivers, we're caregivers during that moment of time that you need us, that you should understand that we were a part of those children's lives and to make them better humans, let's all come together and break bread. Absolutely. You couldn't have said it better. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So actually here in like South Florida, we have um, something called QPI. I know it's in California too, but it's called a Quality Parenting Initiative. And part of that is we do what's called like an icebreaker. And that's where bio parents come foster parents come, anybody who has a vested interest in that child comes and we talk together and we see, oh, what's best for the child? Mom, does this, does um, so-and-so have allergies? Tell me about what's his bedtime routine? Because I think a really important thing is um, that sometimes bio parents may feel, um, I've, and I've heard this quite a bit, like, oh, this family, they're just trying to take my child. This foster family, they just want to keep my child. Once you allow them, let them know, hey, you know, we're in this together, like exactly what you were saying, we're a team, they calm down and they tend to work better with you and with the system and as a whole. Wow. Another thing, by the way, Dana, I know you're getting ready to talk because I'm so excited to hear this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is another thing that should be – this. I. Dana, we talked about this the other day. States do not do what other states do. Right. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, who else is doing this? And why aren't, why isn't there communication between everyone and people saying this is working in South Florida right now? This is, everybody should be doing this. Yes. By the way, first time I've heard this. Okay. And I'm, I love to be educated. So this is the first time I've heard this and I'm so excited to hear this. And by the way, I love Florida. If you have an opportunity, my, my friend Ashley Brown, who runs the Selfless Love Foundation, who's been doing adoption matches through Florida, which by the way, I have never seen so many adoption matches being done. And Ashley's going to be a guest of ours, but she is, Florida is getting it. They're getting it. And I don't understand why. I mean, what everything you just said is what we need in every county. We need in every state. We need to make sure that people know, come to the table, break the ice, talk about it, you know, talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's it's crazy to me, isn't it? Because and I like um, I know they have a national conference every year. I was hoping to go to this one, which was in Chile, but I didn't get a chance to. But I am dying to go to one of them because this is all different states 
um, around the nation where you get ideas because there are people that are doing things better than you. You're doing better. So like it's such a big learning. Um, so I'm hoping to go maybe next year um, to it, but it's a really neat learning experience for sure. Well, and that's one of the things that we're hoping to do with this podcast, too, is to have guests on from all different aspects of the foster care system so that even people who work in it that might think, you know, oh, I'm an expert. I know everything that's going on because I've been doing this for so long. But I mean, look at Rob. He just learned something new and he does this 24 seven. Yeah, totally didn't know yeah. this. And, you know, I, I want to tell you, I was um, maybe two years ago, I went back to my hometown and um, I met with a group of social workers to talk about comfort cases and talk about the importance of kids not carrying a trash bag. And I talked about the, the bar soap. And I talked about how important it was for a child on their very first night not to be put in a bathroom and asked to use a bar of soap that everybody else in the family has used because they don't know their middle name. They don't know their favorite color. And I'll never, ever, ever forget this amazing social worker who, by the way, she'd been doing it. She said to me, I've been doing this for 25 years years. Very rare. Very rare. Sonia, you know that is very, very (laughs) rare. And she said 25 years. And she said, I never thought about the bar soap. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Because I've never either. Not until you said it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's something that, you know, as you're training these, these amazing parents. And by the way, there's, there's a couple things that, that I, I've always tried to do. Um, recent, I've been wanting to make sure that we try to change our vocabulary through the foster care arena. Number one, kids who are in the system who I've, I've like, again, I'm so lucky that I travel the country and talk to kids and they say, there's two things that they ask me. Number one, please never make us carry a trash bag again. Number two, stop calling us foster children please, can you just call us kids? Can you call us children? And so we really have tried to change the vocabulary and get social workers to start calling them children in care, children in foster care. But but for me, you know, the, the, to teach foster parents to, when a child comes into your home on that very first night, that very first night, hopefully, and hopefully after this this podcast, so you're gonna, they will have a comfort case, which in that comfort case, they get a brand new pair of pajamas with a tag on it. They get their own lotion, their own shampoo, their own conditioner, and their own bar of soap. Their own. Right. It's in a Ziploc baggie. It's theirs. Nobody else has ever touched it. Give it to them on that first night. And the reason for that is called dignity. Dignity. These kids have have come through a fire that most of us will never imagine. And I want them to walk in that bathroom, close that door, and understand that they matter. They matter. There's, you seeing that triggered a memory. There's one uh, foster parent that we have that she's been with us maybe like four years, but she's fostered um, about 30 children. Um, and she's just amazing. So every time a child comes into her home, and it's really crazy because um, the caseworker, case manager, which are so busy, they hardly ever like stop to kind of compliment a foster parent or um, at least here, it's very rare. So the fact that this uh, case manager actually sends us all this email saying, oh my God, this foster parent is so amazing. The minute that the children walked into her home, um, she opens the door and she tells them, welcome home. 
And this case manager had never in her years of doing this ever heard a foster parent say that. And it's such a simple thing that probably means so much to these children. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome home. Yeah. Welcome Welcome home. home. Oh my gosh. How many times, you know, I, you know, 438,000 kids in our system. How many Mm -hmm. times, you know, the the new statistic that just came out by with the Casey Foundation, where they're showing that 64%, 64% of the male populations of our prison are people from foster care. 64%. This is a public health crisis, by the way, public health crisis. And how dare us not step up and say, we need to do more. We need to do more. Mm -hmm. But for you personally, how are you able to cope with hearing so many heartbreaking stories? How do you deal with that? It's so difficult. It's so difficult. And a lot of times, so even after doing this for so long, there are moments where I just close my door and I just start crying. I love that I do because the minute that I stop crying or that it doesn't save me what these children have to go through is the minute that I do not belong in this field. And knowing that is what keeps me, like, at least I know, um, it's really silly, but every time I place a baby in a home or a teenager in a home, I'm like, oh, like, at least I know for that day, like, this, I, I know all of the homes that we license. So I know that this child is going to a safe home and they're going to be nurtured and they're going to be loved. And that, for me, like, gets me through every day. When I go to these adoptions, I'm like, oh, like, this is so beautiful. Like, this is why I do what I do. So those moments really keep me going. Oh, that's just so sweet. And I know, Sonia, there was a scene in Married at First Sight where you made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and went and delivered them to homeless people. And so I was wondering, uh, what um, random acts of kindness do you like to do like that? Because I'm sure doing things like that helps to keep you going, too. Yeah. So I still do that. I actually, it's really funny. So every, every guy I kind of dated, I'm like, Oh, so you want to go through the homework? Like, <laughs> I, love <that. laughs> I love that. I love that. Break them in, Sonia. Break them in. Yes. Okay. That is the way you do it. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if you're hearing this podcast and I hope you tune in, she is teaching you the success of a relationship. Break them in. Break them in. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. The last guy that I did, we, um, for Thanksgiving, I was like, oh, you know what? Like, let's just go and eat the homeless. So we got a bunch of leftovers. We got like uh, packs and then we were just, I was in the in the getaway cart and he's like in the passenger side and he's like going out delivering the food and I'm like just kind of chasing him with the car. But yeah, that that's my jam. That's my total like that's what I love to do. I love that. That's your jam. I love that. That's so gonna be my jam. You know, Sonia, I am so excited. First of all, I'm excited that I have this opportunity to have this amazing conversation with you. I mean, I am a total reality TV junkie. So 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 no Know you love you, but what I love is that your 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 gathering that you have on social media, on Twitter, on you know Instagram. I love that, and what I love is how you use that platform. How you use that platform? 
You know, you are doing things that most of us only dream of. I, you're doing things which is exactly what you should be doing. Educating, making sure that kids in the system know they matter, and making a difference. You know, I, I, I have to say this real quick, Dana. T- today I was, I was giving a, a, a speech, and I, I say this quite often. Years ago I heard this poem about, about a dash. And, you know, I've read that poem, and I remember, oh, okay, I get it. Well, you actually define the dash. And so I'm going to tell you what that is, Sonia. So each and every one of us, we are given two things in life, two things in life, every one of us, whether you are male, whether you are female, whether you are white, whether you are black, whether you are gay, whether you are straight, we are all given two things, the year we're born and the year we die. And in between, there's a dash. You are the prime example of making your dash count, making your dash count. And I am just absolutely, unbelievably grateful that I am actually can now call you. Yeah, I'm going to say it, my friend. Thank you for making me cry, too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so <just stuck. laughs> well, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for all that you're doing, all that you guys are doing. Like, I'm so appreciative, so appreciative. Like, you don't understand. Um, We need more of you. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. So this is what we're going to do. Number one, we're going to get cases to all the agencies that you actually deal with. So, Sonia, to let you know, we send cases from birth up to the age of 19. We put brand new pajamas. We put a toiletry set in there. So for kids over the age of two, we give them lotion, shampoo, conditioner, a bar of soap, of course. We make sure that every child gets a toothbrush. They get a brand new thing of toothpaste. We make sure that every single child gets an activity coloring book and crayons for our kids under the age of 10 and we give a journal a pen and pencil set for our kids over the age of 10 you know the pediatric association came out with a study about three years ago and they said kids who are in the foster care system that are adopted who actually journal will test higher than kids who don't we could have probably saved them a ton of money if they just would have called us but we make sure that every child gets a journal then we make sure that every kid gets a book you know as an author i truly believe that education is what separates us and we must get kids in the system to love to read the fact that only 54% of our kids in the foster care system graduate from high school that's not acceptable and we have to get them to love to read i was 18 before i owned my first book my first book. That's not acceptable. So we give kids a book and then also we give them a blanket, not a blanket because we know that they're going to the homes that love them. They keep them warm. We give them a blanket because I want them to wrap themselves up in that blanket and know that as a community, we love them. As a community, they matter. And we're going to do this. We're going to make sure Dana, I'm telling you, you know me. I, I'm a I'm, I'm a guy who wants to move. Oh yeah, yes, he will be on it tomorrow. You know, <laughs> we are going to make sure that every single agency that you deal with has comfort cases. Kids who are under the age of two, we do something a little different. We do baby packs. We do baby packs. We give them a bib. We give them baby wipes. We give them baby ointments. We give them a soft book. We give them a stuffed animal. They get a blanket. They get a onesie. But we're going to make sure that every single child that is in contact with you, Sonia, because you are making a difference, they get a comfort case. But then I'm going to do one more thing, Dana. Comfort excels. 
Oh, yes. Comfort excels. So truly, I do believe that changing the path of a child in this system is the first step is removing the trash bag, removing the trash bag. The problem is, is that we as counties and states and as a government have not funded enough to make that happen. But that doesn't change comfort cases. I'm going to send you for every single agency that you deal with Comfort XLs. Comfort XLs are 32-inch duffel bags. They're folded up. They're about the size of a book. So social workers can put them in their trunk. Police officers can put them in their trunk. Anyone who has contact with a child who's coming into the system will be able to grab this Comfort XL 32-inch duffel bag. And by the way, my Bernese Mountain Dog Hudson, he could fit in that 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 case. And Dana's smiling because Dana has dealt with my Bernese Mountain Dog. I'm going to get those to you. Unlimited supply. Thank you so much. Unlimited yeah, supply. I don't understand what a huge help that is. You know, we were just actually trying to see to write a grant for cases. Nope. Got it. Got it for you, my friend. Got it for you. We're going to so do it. Much. We're going to make it happen. We're going to make sure that the, the, the parents who you're educating, I want them to have these cases waiting for them. I want these cases to be waiting for the caseworkers to grab, and all the cases are tagged with pajama sizes, but that's what we're going to do. But then as my friend, I'm coming to Miami. I'm coming to Miami. Yes. I'm coming to Miami. Dana, we're going to do it. Okay. I'm coming to Miami. I am coming to Miami. We are going to sit down. We are going to break bread. And you are going to be part of what I call the wave. The wave. The wave is people who truly have had enough and want to make change within the foster care system. You're part of the wave, my friend. I love this. Love it. I'm I'm riding that wave. <laughs> ride it, ride it. <laughs> Love it. Ride it. And by the way, D- Dana's going to get your information. I want to send you a copy of Forever Family, you know, fostering change one child at a time. You know, it talks about, you know, what I feel. And again, my personal opinion of what I feel we need to do is changing within our system. But it also talks the journey of what I've gone through and adopting four amazing children. But it also opens the door to what I want people who want to take a step into the future of our children and care, what they can expect. Because I think that we don't talk about that enough. And I think that we need to talk about that. And as I say this, there's no such thing as a bad child. It's only a child that needs to be redirected. Only a child that needs to be redirected. So let's come together as amazing humans and redirect these children in the future that we know they they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight, Sonia. It was so great to, you, to hear yeah. your voice and actually talk to you and, and hear everything you had to say. And you taught Rob a few things. You taught me some stuff. And by the way, <laughs> as I as I end this all the time, I want to say, number one, you know, follow us on Facebook, like us on Instagram. You know, you know what social media is all about. And we need that for our charity. Understand that, you know, just $10 a month for our listeners to go on and help us continue this mission of giving hope and dignity to our foster youth is what we all should be doing. And for me as a dad, for me as a father of four of the most amazing children, Sonia, thank you. Thank you for bringing light to this. Thank you for making sure that these kids know that there is a woman in Miami who completely understands they matter. 
Thank you. Thank you. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.